0: the peter shift show today's podcast was recorded yesterday if you want to listen to my podcasts commercial free the day that i record them go to shiftradio.com slash premium it only costs five dollars a month let's get straight to the point
1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: You know, I wasn't planning on doing anything live. I was going to record a normal podcast today. I was going to talk mainly about the two-day congressional testimony of Jerome Powell, And I have a lot of interesting thoughts on what was and was not said and the market's reaction uh, to uh, Powell's statements, mainly how strong the economy was, how red hot the labor market was. And so he had clear sailing to keep on fighting inflation, raising rates and bringing the inflation rate right back down to 2 percent. No problem. Um, I'm going to table that for my next podcast next week. Also, I wanted to talk about uh, Biden's budget that he submitted which of course is dead on arrival but I think the most laughable part about the budget were the economic assumptions and I'll get into how ridiculous those assumptions were for the next 10 years uh, on that budget but I want to focus on the events of today and of course they actually got started yesterday so it's really a two-day event And I'm talking about what happened at Silicon Valley Bank because yesterday they dropped the first bombshell on the market by announcing that they were going to have to raise, I don't know, a couple billion, I forget the amount, in new equity. They were going to sell stock because they had lost a bunch of money on their loan portfolios and so they needed to sell stock. And the shares were down about 60%. They dropped from like $300 a share to about 200 These aren't the exact prices. I'm just, you know, approximating. Now, the 52-week high was around 600 So the stock has gone way down on that news. And also, by the way, yesterday, Silvergate Bank, I talked about Silvergate on my podcast last week. I think it was just after there was a dead cat bounce in the stock. And I, I pointed out that was your last chance to get out. And now the dead cat has stopped bouncing. It's you know, dead. It was down big again today, uh, down to about two bucks. That's down from, I don't know, it was six hundreds, whatever it was. Uh, oh no, actually not that quite that high, a hundred and something on that one. Uh, but it's going to zero. Uh, there was some Hail Mary. They were going to try to save the bank. Well, that fell incomplete. In fact, it was probably intercepted and run for six points the other way. That's how miserable this Hail Mary uh, was. Uh, But that's it. It's gone. The premier crypto bank uh, is history. And for all the people who think that crypto is the future, why is the biggest crypto bank now history? Uh, This is big problems for crypto. By the way, Bitcoin back below 20,000, as I am speaking right now and doing this podcast, it's at 19,950, so close. But remember, Bitcoin had bounced all the way up to 25500 It's now down 20% from that peak. So that's bear market territory. Of course, we've been in a bear market the whole time. That was just another dead cat bounce. Although I guess uh, the Bitcoin dead cat is going to take longer to stop bouncing. But believe me, it's dead. The people that own it just don't recognize that yet. But again, I don't want to make today's podcast about crypto. I want to make it about the impending financial crisis that I have been warning would happen for years for the precise reasons that it is now taking place. So I'm going to talk about some stuff today, but I've talked about it all before. Years ago, I warned that exactly what is happening right now would happen and for the precise reasons that it's now happening. Now. I don't know anyone else that talked about it, right? So the mainstream media looks at this, as like, oh, well, you know, nobody could have predicted this. Yes, people did predict it. I know I was one of them, but it's gonna get a lot worse from here. That's what the mainstream still doesn't understand. And so what happened today with Silicon Valley Bank is they announced that, or I don't know if they announced it or the government announced it, the FDIC, but they couldn't find any takers for that stock. I wonder why. right? Nobody wanted to step up and catch that falling knife. So the bank couldn't raise the capital that it needed. And so it's been put into receivership by the FDIC. So the bank is shut. The stock never opened for trading today. It's probably worth nothing. So you had a bank go from 300 to zero in basically one trading day, totally out of left field. In fact, last month, Forbes magazine came out with its best banks in the United States. It made a list of best banks. And Silicon Valley Bank was number one. It topped the list. And in one month, it's bankrupt. Now, the bank had something like $175 billion worth of deposits, $150 billion of which are not insured. The FDIC insures $250,000 of deposits. If your account is worth more than that, it's not insured. I mean, you're protected up to the 250, but beyond that, you're on your own. And this is a big deal. So first, let me get into what happened to this bank and why. And this is just one domino. A whole bunch of them are going to fail. You know, I think the Plunge Protection team is going to be working nonstop over the weekend to try to figure out a rescue plan before the market opens for business on Monday morning because who knows how many shoes might drop over the weekend. The market should have been down a lot more than they were. In fact, the Dow Jones, I don't even think it was down 400 points today or just under 400 points, 345. That's not that big a drop. In fact, on the week, the Dow and the S&P are only down about 4% or Dow, NASDAQ. You know, gold stocks were down 5 to 6% on the week, even though gold rose, it was up $35 an ounce today. It was up about 12 bucks on the week, but gold stocks hadn't recovered from their 30-day drop. Gold dropped 30 days, uh, $30, rather, on Tuesday in response to Powell's so-called hawkish testimony about the super-strong U.S. economy. And so gold stocks got clobbered and they never got back off the mat. Even though they were up about 2% today, they couldn't recover the losses from earlier in the week even though Gold itself uh, was very strong at the week. In fact, not only did it hold nicely that 1800 support that I mentioned, I thought was support, it closed at almost 1870 and out. So $70 above that support, which it just touched. So gold bid and it's being bid for the same reason that bonds were way up today. The dollar was down today. Investors are anticipating some type of fed pivot where just a few days ago they thought no that's not going to happen but the events from today with silicon valley bank has now got people thinking that the fed is going to have to do something and they are going to have to do something except it ain't going to work that is the problem that's what nobody understands so getting back to what happened with this bank. And this, again, is something that I was warning about years ago. Just go back and listen to my old podcast and and you'll hear this. But one of the downsides of low interest rates, and I've, you know, been warning about this, and that's why we don't own financials. in our our brokerage account. I mean, we stayed away from the financials for this reason, because lots of people were saying higher interest rates are going to be good for financials because they could earn more money. I was one of the few people out there that said, no, higher interest rates are going to destroy financials, because most people in the investment banking business don't even understand their own industry. Why do you think so few people knew that the 2008 financial crisis was coming? I understood the weak Position that the banks were in during the housing bubble, and I understood how weak their position was now going into uh, this coming financial crisis. Everybody else, oh, the banking system is sound, it's sound. It is completely unsound. Here is the flip side of low interest rates. While interest rates were really low, all of these banks, in order to earn income, had to take their deposits and invest them in low yielding paper. They bought a lot of government bonds, treasury bonds. That's what they had to have. That was considered excellent collateral, right? Full faith and credit of the U.S. government, except they didn't buy short term because there was no yield there. The yield was at zero. So what did they do? They bought 10 year treasuries, 30 year treasuries at maybe one and a half percent, 2%, not a lot of yield, but better than nothing. So they bought all these bonds. They also loaded up on mortgages, either the ones that they originated or they bought them in the secondary market, mortgage-backed securities. Personally, I've got a mortgage on my Connecticut house. I got a 30-year fixed. I don't, and maybe there's 25 years left on it, 26. I'm not sure exactly, but I'm at three and three-eighths. The current mortgage rate is 7%. What do you think that mortgage is worth? If Bank of America, which owns my mortgage, if they wanted to sell that, they're not going to get anywhere near what it's worth, anywhere near what they've marked it on their books, because they're not marking that that loan to market. No, no, they're pretending it's still worth uh, what I owe them, but it's not worth that. I mean, yes, it's worth that if they hold that mortgage for the next 26 years, but what if they need to sell it? What are they going to get? What can you get for a mortgage at three and three-eighths when the current market is at seven? That's the position that a silicon valley bank was in because a lot of their depositors wanted their money back now one reason is they bank a lot of tech companies and these tech companies are in a lot of trouble they're losing a lot of money so they're tapping into their bank deposits maybe they deposited some of the money that they got from selling stock to a bunch of suckers but now they need that money to cover their losses so they go to their bank and they ask for the money now the bank doesn't just sit on the cash in order to get the money, they got to sell their mortgage-backed securities. They got to sell their U.S. Treasuries. Well, what are they worth? A lot less than they have them on their books. That's why they lost a lot of money and now they need help. But there's also something else that's going on. And I this is another thing that I predicted. The interest rates are going up. And you can get almost 5% now on a, a treasury bill. Money market yields have moved up a lot. But if you've noticed, if you have a bank account, Your bank is barely paying you any interest. Maybe you're getting 25 basis points, 50 basis points. You're not getting anywhere near what is currently being offered by the U.S. government on on treasuries, on on, on bills. Why is that? Because the banks can't pay. Because they've already loaned out all the money and they're locked in at these low rates. So they can't pay their depositors enough interest to compete with the U.S. government. So what is that going to do? that's going to create a run on the banks, not just on Silicon Valley bank, but all these small banks, these regional banks, people are going to start pulling out their money. Now the small depositors, you know, guys got a couple of grand in a checking account, probably doesn't care about interest, but you've got some of the larger deposits like this bank, you know, most of the deposits were big. They weren't covered by FDIC. If you can get 5% or 6% eventually, you know, in a money market somewhere, but your bank is only paying you at 50 basis points, just pull the money out, send it someplace else. The problem is the bank don't have it. They got to sell something to get it, but what they're selling isn't worth what they owe you. We have so many U S banks that are completely insolvent right now because none of them are marking their loans to market because they have them qualified as hold to maturity. Oh yeah, we don't have to mark this to market. We're just going to hold it to maturity. Well, sure. But what if you can't? What if you face a situation where your depositors want their money? Well, now you've got to sell and then you don't have their money. And here's what I think is going to be happening over this weekend. As the news reports go out about this bank failing, which is the first bank failure, big bank failure since 2008, right, FDIC failure. I think a lot of people who have money, particularly at the regional banks, maybe not yet at the big, the big banks, right? But the smaller banks, because this, you know, wasn't, one of, wasn't Bank of America or Wells Fargo, one of them, but it's still a big bank, you know. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to think, wait a minute, this bank just failed out of the blue. No advance warning, rated best bank in America by Forbes. You know, and a month later, it's insolvent in receivership. All these people who had accounts that were worth more than 250000 They can't get their money. You know what, I'm gonna go get my money Monday morning. I'm gonna take my money out of the bank. If I have 500,000, a million, $2 million, I don't wanna take any chances. I'm taking my money out of this little bank and I'm gonna put it into maybe a bigger bank or I'm just gonna buy treasury bills. I'm gonna get it into a money market. I I gotta get out of this bank. Well, now all these banks are gonna face the same problem that uh, Silicon Valley Bank had. Where are they going to get the money? They got to sell their low yielding paper at a big loss. And now they're insolvent too. See, everybody was talking about how great it was that all these Americans got to refinance all their mortgages at low rates. And I was pointing out for years, it's great for the borrower, but it's a disaster for the lender. I was saying for years, what is going to happen when interest rates eventually rise, and all these banks are stuck with this low-yielding paper. Sure, when they were able to borrow from the Fed at zero and then reinvest at 2%, well, they still made money. But when it costs you 5% to borrow from the Fed, and all your deposits are yielding 2%, whatever they are, and your customers want a competitive rate of interest, after all, we're living in a high-inflationary environment. you got to pay up. You got to pay a higher rate of interest when there's a lot of inflation. The banks can't do it. And so what was good for the borrowers is a disaster for the lenders. The problem is all of these lenders are backed up by the U.S. government. What's going to happen to Silicon Valley Bank? Who knows how much this bank has actually lost, but the insured deposits are protected by the FDIC. Well, where does the FDIC get its money? From the government. Well, the government is broke. The government is already running a massive deficit. So where would the government be looking to get the money to bail out the FDIC? Well, normally from the Federal Reserve. But the Fed's doing quantitative tightening. That means the, 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 there's no money there. The cupboard is bare. So where is the FDIC going to get this money? It can't get the money. That is the problem. The banks are going to fail and there's no way for the FDIC to bail them out. Now, of course, they will bail them out because the Fed is going to reverse and supply the money. But you know what? Depositors are screwed either way. Because if the Fed decides to keep fighting inflation, which means it can't bail out the FDIC, well, that means there's no money in the FDIC. And if the government is going to bail out the FDIC, it's going to have to sell the bonds into the private sector. And the sale of those bonds will put even more downward pressure on the bond market which will cause even more banks to go insolvent. And the ones that are insolvent will only be deeper insolvent. So if the government has to sell bonds to bail out all the banks that own bonds and are losing money, it will exacerbate the losses on those bonds, making the problem worse. So that's out of the question. But if, so if they can't do that, then you're not going to get your money. The, 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 The FDIC has to default and depositors lose their money. Now, What they may try to do over the weekend is say, oh, you know, we're going to insure all the big deposits. Doesn't matter. Forget the limit of 250. We're going to insure everything just to try to stop a run. But again, where does the government get the money to insure everything? They don't have it. That means now they have a much bigger liability if they're going to insure all deposits, not just the deposits that are less than 250. But let's say the Federal Reserve does pivot, goes back to quantitative easing. So everybody can get bailed out. So none of the depositors have to lose their money. Well, then the deposits lose their value because then the dollar is going to crash. It is going to just collapse because inflation is going to run rampant. Because if the Fed has to pivot now, if they have to cut rates to go back to QE, when inflation is nowhere near 2%, finally the world is going to wake up to what I have been warning since before the 2008 financial crisis. And by the way, all the people, who want to say that I was wrong going back in 2009 and saying, hey, Peter Schiff was wrong because he was predicting massive inflation as a result of QE? I wasn't wrong, I was right. QE was massive inflation. Now most people don't understand what inflation is. they're just looking at the CPI. And they said, well Peter Schiff was wrong because the CPI was not going up a lot. It was just going up 2%. Well, Now it's not. Now it's going up seven, eight, nine percent. There was just a longer lag than I thought. But this is it. The inflation chickens have come home to roost. And now we're going to have to deal with the consequences. Everything I predicted is going to happen even worse because during the 10 years that everybody thought there was no inflation and so the Fed kept printing money, there was inflation. It's just that the consequences were being delayed. But now they've created so much inflation because they thought they could, because they didn't think it was a problem. Now, all of a sudden, all that inflation is just now starting to catch up with us. And it's not going to go away. There's only one way to try to eventually bring this under control, and that is massive cuts in government spending, which are not even on the table. And in fact, I was listening to an economist on uh, on youtube and i forget the guy's name he was pretty good i wish i remembered his name because i i'd give him credit but you know he was talking about um the idea that deficits don't matter you know cheney came out you know and said reagan proved that deficits don't matter right which of course was bs but this guy you know said something similar to what i've been saying but i'm gonna you know i was just listening to him so i'm gonna credit him whoever he was (laughs) but anyway um the guy said well yeah you know deficits don't matter as long as the buyers of government bonds have confidence that the government's going to pay the money back. So big deficits didn't seem to be problematic because people still felt that we could pay. Now, I've known that we couldn't pay for a long time. That's been obvious, but apparently a lot of people didn't figure this out yet. But at some point, And I think that point is going to come very, very soon. People are going to realize that we can't pay. And then the debt matters because now we have a debt crisis and what's about to happen, this financial crisis, either we're going to have a financial crisis right now, you know, or the government is going to do something to try to prevent that financial crisis. But either way, it's going to set this loss of confidence in the bond market in, into play, and in the dollar, we get a dollar crisis and a sovereign debt crisis, because people are then going to start to question our ability to repay this enormous debt. Because everybody knows now, or they should, that there is no political will in Washington to either raise taxes on the middle class or cut, sp- or cut spending, reduce middle class entitlements. Nobody will touch government spending. The only taxes that anybody will raise are on the super-rich, but that's only the Democrats and not even all the Democrats, and the Republicans won't do that. There is no way the government's going to get extra tax revenue. Even if they tax the rich, it's going to backfire, and they're going to end up with less revenue from the rich. Um, But nobody will tax the middle class, not even the Democrats, at least officially. Sure, they'll do it through inflation, but they won't do it honestly uh, in order to repay the debt. Again, remember... We have this debt crisis going on right now, where we have the debt ceiling. And what is every Democrat saying is going to happen if we don't raise the debt ceiling? We're going to default on our bonds. Nobody is saying that if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we'll raise taxes so we can pay our bonds. Nobody is saying we're going to cut Social Security or Medicare so we have the money to pay the bonds. No, no, no. The very first thing we're going to do if we can't borrow more money is default on what we've already borrowed. Again, this is the official acknowledgement that we are running a gigantic Ponzi scheme and that we will never pay off this debt. And so very soon debt is going to matter. Deficits are going to matter just at the point where they are spiraling out of control and inflation is here to stay, right? Because as we have to monetize more debt, which is exactly what they're going to have to do because they got the whole country hooked on this cheap money. And the only way to avoid a massive financial crisis that is on an order of magnitude greater than 2008 is to open up the spigots and create even more inflation. But we've already got a huge inflation problem. And what the government would have to do to prevent a financial crisis is take that huge inflation problem and make it much bigger and then set off the potential for a sovereign debt and currency crisis, which ultimately could produce hyperinflation. Something I warned about after the 2008 financial crisis, as a worst case scenario, it's now more likely than it was back then, given everything that's happened during the 12 years, given all the additional rounds of quantitative easing, especially what we did during COVID. If we weren't screwed then, we are now. Because what we did then was, uh, you know, know, overkill uh, to a great degree. So we've definitely overdosed on this stimulus and we are going to experience the consequences. So a lot of people are just downplaying this, you know, it's no big deal. You know, this is exactly how the 2008 financial crisis started first. Oh, you know, it's just one thing. It's just a subprime lender that went under. Don't worry about it. This is the beginning. This is the tip of a huge iceberg. There's going to be more failures, more defaults, um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, all of a sudden everything falls apart and right? people get it. And the question is, will the Fed react prior to an implosion or after the implosion? That I don't know for sure, but I know that it's not going to sit back and, and do nothing because everybody is just counting on the Fed. Everybody thinks The Fed has the tools to save the day. It doesn't. The reason we're in such a horrific situation today is because of the Fed and its tools. It didn't fix the economy, it broke it. But people didn't know that because we just postponed the consequences. We numbed the economy up uh, to the pain. And so we didn't feel the pain as we got sicker and sicker and sicker. But since the politicians, they don't want to do anything, they don't want to cut any spending, they don't want to raise any taxes, so they just assume the Fed could do it painlessly and they've been lulled into this false sense of confidence that the Fed can keep doing it, they don't realize that it's out of tricks, right? That the illusion of inflation isn't going to work anymore to mask these problems. Because now inflation is the problem, and you can't solve the other problems without exacerbating the inflation problem, and that's it. This is the end game for the Fed.
1: Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups.
0: First one comes from uh ODD APP, whatever that means. Uh, he wants to know what I think about the reverse WIPO market, pointing out there's $2.2 trillion there. Yeah, look, you know, we had a problem not too long ago uh, in the repurchase market. I remember that, and that was part of, I think, the initial Fed pivot. This is even before COVID happened. But, Yes, everywhere that you have a lot of leverage and you have a lot of debt, there is going to be a problem. You know, there is a consequence to what the Fed did. As I said, we didn't get all this for nothing, right? All the banks that were making money uh, on the spread when interest rates are low. Now they're going to offset that with massive losses. now that rates have moved up, what they had to do, they made a deal with the devil to make money in the past. And now the devil is here to collect. Now, of course, a lot of the executives, they don't care. They already got all their bonus money. And part of the reason that a lot of banks were willing to make these risky loans and take all this gamble, gamble like this, is because they thought the government would bail them out. The Fed's going to bail them out. Why? Well, that was the lesson of 2008. You know, doesn't matter if there's a bubble, just gamble, you know, take a lot of risks, live for today. Don't worry about tomorrow because the government's going to bail you out. That is the moral hazard. That was one of many reasons that I was opposed to the bank bailouts in 2008, 2009, because it created the foundation for even bigger bailouts in the future, which is what we're going to experience. You know, ironically, and I see a lot of people want to, you know, poke fun at me because they say, oh, Peter Schiff, look, your bank failed, so you ought to know a lot about failed banks. My bank didn't fail. The government put it out of business, but it didn't fail. And here's the interesting thing. My bank was completely solvent. I didn't make any loans. I didn't have any debt. So every one of my bank's customers could have withdrawn his or her deposits when it was still open and they would have all got their money because I didn't have to sell anything. I had all the money. I never loaned it out. I never took any risk. So the market would not have put me out of business. I would have stayed in business if it was just a free market. But here, all these other banks that did all the risky things that I was smart enough not to do, made all these bad loans, like locked in all their deposits for long-term at low rates, right? They borrowed a bunch of money. They got all levered up. Those banks should all go out of business. They should fail in the market. But the same governments that shut my bank down, to bail those banks out, right? I get punished for doing everything right. And they're going to get rewarded for doing anything wrong, everything wrong. That is the opposite of a free market. If we had a free market, my bank would still be in business and all these other banks would be failing. And maybe I could buy some of those banks and expand and, and run them honestly and, and, and right. But no, no, the bad actors are gonna get rewarded. They're just gonna get bailed out, right? This is the perverse way that the US economy works. And nobody can call this capitalism. Everything that is about to happen, all the money that's gonna be lost, all the inflation, all the poverty, right? Everything that's gonna happen Don't blame any of it on capitalism because none of it would have happened if we had capitalism in America. It's all because of the socialism that has crept into our economy based on our democratic system. We voted for it all. That is the fatal flaw of democracy. It destroys republics. It turns them into democracies, and then they bankrupt themselves uh, through deficits and inflation. Next up... uh, uh, Dr. Mimi Miriam, Joe, just wants to thank me for the valuable information. Well, thank you for your thank you. Next up is Dwayne Kensick. When did the government debt switch from long-term bonds to short-term bonds? Was there a pur- 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 uh, purported reason for this? Well, the U.S. government was borrowing, the federal government was borrowing short. And that started really under Clinton. That was something that um, Robert Rubin came up with during the Clinton administration. He thought that, hey, if we can reduce the maturity of the national debt, instead of selling long-term bonds, let's sell short-term bonds, we can lower our interest rate cost, right? And I pointed out what a dumb thing that was if you cared about the long-term, because that was like taking a fixed rate mortgage and trading it in for an adjustable rate mortgage, just because in the short run, the rate was lower. Yes, that's great in the short run. But what about the long run when the rates go up? Well, obviously, the Rubin administration or the Clinton administration with Rubin in office didn't give a damn about what would happen when Biden was president. That's law. He's long since out of Dodge. He only cared about his term. But then when Bush came in, he did the same thing. Hey, it worked for uh, Ob- uh, for Clinton. It'll work for me. Every president was shortening the maturity of the national debt, even when interest rates were zero. And the smart thing to do would have been to sell long-term bonds. Even Donald Trump shortened the maturity of the national debt. Every president made the same mistake, made the same bad bet, because they put their own uh, 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 reputation, their own term ahead of the long-term nature of, of, of the country. And so now we've got this really short maturity on a $32 trillion national debt and all this low yielding paper is going to mature. And now we've got to refinance it at 4%, 5%. Well, we could have locked it up at one and a half, 2%, but they didn't do that because they were rolling T-bills at 25 basis points. Well, now those T-bills are maturing and they're going from 25 basis points to 450 basis points, soon 500 basis points. So that's a disaster. And of course, What companies did, they did the opposite. They bought all these long-term bonds, they put them on their books, because it was the only way that they can make any money. And you know, there's a lot of bond funds too that are gonna blow up. A lot of people have money in bond funds. These things are gonna implode because everybody is losing money uh, on their bonds. That's what happened in the UK. There was gonna be some failures there because banks are losing money, and then that's what caused the Bank of England to pivot. They pivoted before the Fed because raising rates was going to cause a crisis. Actually, it was in the pensions, not the banks. But the same thing is going to happen in U.S. pensions, insurance companies. Everybody is going to get killed who has to sell these bonds in a higher interest rate environment. And of course, rates have to go up a lot higher because we haven't even come close to raising rates enough to bend the inflation curve. Inflation is still going to run hot because we still have negative real interest rates. and. The government is still spending like crazy. We've had no uh, reduction in budget deficits. They're getting bigger. The consumer is still borrowing as much as he can, spending as much as he can. Nobody is saving. Everybody is borrowing and spending. And so the inflation rates are gonna go up. It is fantasy to believe that they're gonna come back down to anywhere near the rates that we have over the last decade. That's it. Those low inflation rates, those sub 2% or anywhere near 2% are long gone. You know, we're more likely to get to 20% than back to 2%. Uh, JB is talking, uh, Peter, I sold my Bitcoin back in November during the FTX crash at $15,600 during your Twitter spaces. Uh, is it going lower? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, if that's the only time you sold, uh, you kind of sold the low for that cycle because there was a bounce up to, uh, to 25000 but at this point, uh, you know, you're out. I would not get back in. I think eventually the people who didn't sell at 15600 are going to wish that they did because we're headed a lot lower. But obviously, you know, from a timing perspective, you could have timed it better, but at least you got out. You know, and maybe you sold some more higher up. I don't know your whole story. And hopefully you bought it a lot cheaper and so you got out with a profit as opposed to a loss. Next thing is Evan G- zilsis something like that isn't it illegal to tell people to start a run on a bank like peter Thiel did yesterday i'm not telling people to start a run on a bank i am just contemplating what people might do when they think about what just happened you had a major bank that was you know voted best bank in the country pretty much overnight it's insolvent no advance warning nobody knew and now a lot of deposits are gone. If you had more than 250,000, obviously, if you had 250 for now, you're covered, so you're not worried. But if you had a million dollars at that bank, $2 million, you know, who knows what you're going to get back right now. So I'm just saying that people are going to be worried and they may run to the bank, but also people are going to want to get higher yields on their deposits than what these banks can actually pay because they put themselves in a box where they can't afford to compete with the rates that are being paid now uh, by U.S. treasuries, which are supposedly risk-free. So, you know, they're going to lose uh, that competitive battle, and the Fed has got to keep raising rates, and they're going to be there for a long time. So ultimately, these banks have got to fail, and people anticipate that. They want to get their money. I mean, that's why the banking system is so inherently unstable now, thanks to the FDIC. You know, uh, before the Great Depression, there was no. Uh, bank insurance. Uh, No banks were government insured, and therefore they were a lot more solvent. And so even though we had a depression, uh, only about 2% of the total bank deposits ended up getting lost. It's a very small amount. But now, far more than that. In fact, inflation is going to wipe out a lot more than 2% of the value of bank deposits this year, far more than was lost during the depression. But the banking system as a whole is much less solvent than it was in the 30s, because of the moral hazard created by government insurance. Because of all these insured deposits, they're all risky. And because the, the depositors don't give a damn about how risky the banks are, well, they put their money in risky banks. But now that some of these banks are failing, you know, they're gonna yank their money out. All right, back to the questions. So uh, Josh Eaton, I know you you avoid dollar assets, but why wouldn't other countries up their eyeballs in debt, all? collude with the US to inflate simultaneously. Everybody has been inflating simultaneously. That's why there's an inflation problem in Europe. That's why they're going to have one in Japan. They've all been making the same mistakes. And so everybody is going to suffer the consequences. The people all around the world are going to be paying much higher prices and enjoying much lower living standards, suffering lower living standards, uh, because they're going to have to pay the price for all this government they got, all the stimulus that they got during COVID, none of this stuff was free, including all the stimulus uh, after the 2008 financial crisis. There is a bill that is only now coming due. I mean, we've experienced it in a way in that we haven't had nearly as much economic growth as we would have had, had the governments and central banks done the right thing uh, right away in 2008 and allowed a deeper crisis to run its natural course. Uh, but it's, it's a lot more than that. It's not just that we're going to suffer uh, slow growth. We're going to really pay these inflation chickens are coming home to roost in a big way, right? Or the piper is going to get paid and it's a huge tab because he's been playing that pipe for 12 years or so. So yeah, everybody is going to pay, but they're not, that's not going to bail out the U S not, not even close. And ultimately I think the U S is going to suffer the most because this is gonna be the end of the US dollar reserve uh, uh, monetary system. And in fact, Powell was asked about that in the Q&A, and he said, oh, he sees no threat at all to the dollar status as the reserve currency. Well, of course he doesn't see that threat. He doesn't see any threats. He is clueless. There is a massive threat, and it's not coming from a competing currency. The threat is from within. The threat is that the dollar is gonna implode on its own based on the enormity of the debt and the realization that it's unpayable. And when our creditors realize we're just going to inflate instead of pay, then it collapses. And it's not because of the strength of the euro or the Chinese r or the yen, but of the inherent weakness of the dollar. And the alternative is none of those fiat currencies. It is gold. Gold is the only real money that is a viable alternative uh, to the dollar or any fiat currency. And it ain't Bitcoin. Um, Alan Reiser. Uh, could Europe, Japan face similar financial crisis leading to a rising dollar index and a falling gold price? Um, I think the rise in the dollar index is in the rear view mirror. I mean, I, I think we've seen a head fake in the dollar. Um, I, I think that people are going to go to gold this time. I don't think they're going to pile into the dollar from Europe or other countries. In fact, a lot of people in Europe are already trying to get out of the dollar. That's the problem. They're trying to get out of the dollar right now. What do you think of the narrative that Powell is trying to end the Fed put? Well, he'd like to end the Fed put, but he can't because everybody is naked without that put. I mean, there was a lot of bad bets put on based on, the existence of that put. If there really is no put, then the markets are just going to implode. But the implosion of the markets themselves will cause that put to, to come back. Because I don't think Powell, and I've been saying this from the beginning, I don't think Powell or anyone at the Fed actually has the stomach to do what's ne- that needs to be done. I mean they're they're willing to bluff that they that they're willing to do it only because they hope that by bluffing, they don't have to do it, right? They want to talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. It's so like the opposite of the speak softly and, and carry a big stick. They have no stick. So the only thing to do is yell and scream about this big stick that they have and hope that they never actually have to use it because they don't have one. So as long as the economy looks okay on the surface, as long as the unemployment rate is low, Right. As long as everything seems okay, then the Fed can pretend that it's willing to keep fighting inflation and keep on raising interest rates. But when the increase in interest rates has negative consequences, like what we're seeing right now with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and potentially a lot more banks. And what this means, that's when the Fed is going to pivot. I've always said that it's the Fed is going to keep on doing this until something gives, something breaks, and then they're going to pivot. And now the markets of course are anticipating this, but they still don't get it. They expect the next pivot to be like the last few. They think the fed can just fix everything again by going back to QE and cutting rates. It can't because it never fixed anything in the first place. It just made everything worse, but postponed the pain. But with inflation well above 2%, the party's over. The only reason the Fed got away with QE in the past was because re- inflation was below 2%, and they could claim that we needed higher inflation. Well, what happens if they have to go back to QE when inflation is 6 or 7%? They can't claim that we need higher inflation than that. They can't say inflation is too low and that we're going to pursue an inflationary policy in an environment where we already have too high inflation. In fact, the Fed has just said that inflation is causing economic misery, well, are you going to cause more misery? Well, of course, now he's going to have to uh, have a trade-off between the misery from inflation and the misery from not having inflation and having everything collapse and having a financial crisis. But it's going to be miserable either way. But I think when the Fed has to pick its poison, it's going to pick inflation and, and fight uh, the collapse, fight the financial crisis because if it just lets everything implode, well, everybody's going to know who to blame there. If they just create a bunch of inflation, well, you know, they could blame the greedy businessmen for gouging the consumer, right? They they, they could point the finger at other people uh, for rising prices, but if they keep fighting inflation, well, then it's going to be harder to put the blame for the implosion that ensues on anybody else because they'll say, hey, you didn't do anything. You didn't act. So they're going to act, right? Uh, and, and they're going to make the situation a lot worse, ultimately. Okay, Tyler Davis. Peter, thanks for all the great content. Proud listener from Australia. Yeah, I, I need some uh, fans in Australia. I've, I've, I've been beaten up pretty badly by that uh, fake Australian media out there that really has had it in for me. Um, let me see. Dyson Butler, can you speak a little on the impact of AMT on book income as part of inflation reduction? I'm not really sure what that means. Alternative minimum tax, um, I'm not really sure what that means, uh, so I can't really deal with the question. I mean, obviously, inflation is going to uh, inflate people's incomes, ultimately, right? People will earn more money, and so they'll end up in higher tax brackets, you know, and uh, also the AMT. As people's incomes go up due to inflation, if the AMT remains the same, well, then more people will fall within the AMT and end up paying higher taxes for that reason. That's always what happens. Inflation always ends up pushing people into higher brackets, uh, and and that's one of many reasons that the government creates inflation, and inflation is, in fact, a silent partner of the government. Uh, Here's another question from Fruffery. Do you assign any probability to the Fed choosing to preserve the dollar and letting the Treasury default? Uh, Yes. I mean, there is a probability there. It's hard to peg it. Um, But I I think it's low. You know, I I don't think that the Fed is going to let the Treasury default. Um, I I think the Treasury should default. Um, but they probably won't. I just don't see them uh, cutting Social Security and, 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 and cutting Medicare. You know, I did an interview the other day, and, and you know, they, they played this Henry Hazlitt lecture I did or a clip from it where I joked about it, where I just don't see the president of the United States, particularly uh, Joe Biden, you know, making the following or delivering the following speech, right? Because, you know, we owe all this money to the Chinese and everybody else. Right. And so let's say they don't raise the debt ceiling and uh, Biden, you know, calls a special, uh, uh, you know, meeting uh, uh, from the Oval Office. He wants to deliver some bad news to the American public. And he says, look, you know, we didn't raise the debt ceiling and, you know, we owe a lot of money, you know, we owe a lot of money to the Chinese and, you know, the Chinese need that money. And, you know, we borrowed it and, you know, we want to pay our bills. We're good for our debts. So, you know, we got to raise your taxes. Sorry about that. I know I promised no tax increases for anybody below 400,000. But, you know, the Chinese need their money. And so, you know, we're in a box. So we're going to have to raise income taxes on everybody. Maybe your taxes are going to have to double. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have to cut Social Security. I mean, I know you guys were counting on your Social Security, but, you know, the Chinese, they really need their money. And, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want you know, we w- we to default. Well, we're going we're to pay the Chinese, right? There's no way. They're gonna do that. They're gonna, you know, screw the Chinese. We ain't, we're not gonna pay them, right? I mean, they never should have loaned us all this money. We didn't, you know, they're predators. Right? We, we're we're gonna write this down. So it's more likely that that we default on what we owe, especially to foreigners who can't even vote in our election. I think we're more likely to do that than uh, you know, cut Social Security or Medicare. But we're more we're the most likely scenario is that we don't default on anything because there is a catastrophic problem if we default on our treasuries, right? <laughs> so we're not going to do that because that's, a, that's an immediate problem. Printing money so that we can avoid default, that creates a problem later on. Now, it's not going to be that much later because it's going to work pretty quickly. Uh, but that's the, the politically expedient path of least resistance. And we're going to go down that. There's no doubt in my mind that the Fed is going to do the wrong thing. There is no precedent of the Fed doing the right thing, at least you know since Greenspan. Uh, they've never done the right thing. That is their playbook, do the wrong thing every single time. And the thing is, a lot of these guys don't even know what the right thing is. That's how clueless these people are. All right, um, what role will brick nations play when we go off the dollar standard? Well, they're going to play a big role. They're going to benefit. They have been the principal uh, you know, bearers of the weight of the dollar reserve system. They've, they've been doing all the hard work. They've been doing all the production. Uh, and so when the dollar goes, their currencies are going to rise and their living standards are going to go up. They're going to consume more of what they produce. And the flip side in America, our living standards are going to go down. We're not going to get to consume what everybody else produces. We're going to have to produce more ourselves. And the problem is, you know, we can't do it. Now, I know there are a lot of people now that are saying, hey, maybe we'll get bad, bailed out by AI, right? Artificial intelligence is really going to increase the productivity. Well, maybe, but we still need a factory. You know, I mean, those those AI programs can't build cars. I mean, you you know, they can't create the steel, you know, so there's only so much we could get. I mean, some businesses could be more productive with AI and they probably will be, but it's not a get out of jail free card. And by the way, the whole world is going to have the AI, not not just America. Okay, Steve. Peter Schiff, you're a national treasure. I've been watching you for years. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. Huge fan. Love the show. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Um, I'm just going to take a few more because I know I have early dinner reservations, so I can't do one of these marathon Q and A's that I that I've done in the past. But I just you know wanted to you know get out there and get in front of this because come Monday morning, who the hell knows? But they may do something over the weekend, which could be uh, a shock or send shockwaves throughout the market. Either way, because if the government pivots, if the government does something to acknowledge a bailout that it's not going to let banks fail, well then the dollar should tank. Gold should take off because the Fed has shown its hand. If the Fed doesn't show those cards, it continues to play them close to the vest, well, then we could have a complete implosion in the markets uh, and a financial crisis. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting weekend and a, a very interesting Monday. So I wanted to get out in front of it by doing this live podcast. Okay, so the society. I spot trade forex and future options. I'm looking for a professional step forward. What should I consider? I don't know. I mean, I really can't give you career advice on the podcast about how you should become a Forex trader. I mean, you, you know, there's obviously banks where you can trade Forex, uh, you know, hedge funds and stuff like that. So I guess you got to send out some resumes or just do it yourself. You know, just start trading. You know, you're already trading. You're you're self-employed. You can continue that. But I mean, if you've got a good track record, you can bring that to, uh, you know, funds or banks and maybe get yourself a job. Um, Jamila Williams. Sell gold after big rush profits to real estate. Not really sure what they mean by that. I wouldn't sell my gold yet. I think gold has not even begun to make its big move. Uh, real estate's going to be problematic because of all the debt, right? All the mortgages. So you know we people can't afford to buy houses anymore because it costs too much to borrow the money. So there's a big problem. And of course, the people who are in houses, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money to stay there. Utilities, uh, taxes, insurance, all that stuff's going way up. The only thing that's not going up for some people is their mortgage. If they got a, a locked-in fixed-rate mortgage, and that's what's going to keep a lot of people in their homes. Of course, if you had an adjustable rate, uh, you know you're probably uh, you know going to get foreclosed on or something, or you're going to walk away uh, because you probably can't afford uh, the the rate that ultimately is going to is going to reset to. And if you have negative equity in your house, you know we know from the past, you know why bother making the payments? But the other thing is rents are going way up. That's another thing that's going to keep people with fixed rate mortgages in their homes because those mortgages are going to be cheaper than rent, even if they don't have to, uh, you know, even if they have negative equity, it's still, what is, what are you paying in your mortgage? And you know, if it's a lot less than rent, of course, now you got to take care of your own maintenance and stuff. You don't have a landlord that you can call when there's a problem, but still a lot of people that have these low mortgages, you know, that, that that's where they're going to make money as a debtor, not as a homeowner. They're going to lose as a homeowner. They're going to make money as a debtor. But that's because the lenders are losing money as lenders, which is what's happening at the banks, which is why Silicon Valley Bank is now in receivership, and it failed, and why a lot more banks will follow unless the Fed does something now. What would they have to do? Slash interest rates, go back to quantitative easing, start buying up bonds, buying up mortgage-backed securities to bail out all these banks. But then when they do that, they condemn the the, the rest of us uh, to massive inflation. Um, Chris Gower, Um, what aspect of the credit markets do you think will break first? Well, we've already seen a break, right? The the banks uh, are already broken. You've got two now this week that are pretty much gone. That's Silvergate and now uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, And a lot of that too related to the tech companies, you know, that they were banking or crypto companies. Uh, But the whole thing is vulnerable. I mean, who knows what's going to blow up next? Uh, you know, it's, this is the proverbial centipede. If you're trying to figure out what's the next shoe to drop, there are a lot of shoes and they're going to be dropping. Um, Evan Cox, how do I bonds work and what's your opinion on them? Yeah, well, those are actually pretty good when it comes to bonds. Of course, I, I don't want to buy bonds at all, even the I bonds, but you can't buy a lot of those cause you get a high rate. It depends on the CPI and they're for small investors. You buy them directly. And right now, they're, you know, they're a much better deal than what you can get on Treasury bills. But I think there's a limit to how much you can put in there. So if you've got a lot of money, you're really, you know, it's not going to move the needle. But if you've got a small amount of money, uh, you could buy them. But I, I'd rather just forget about any of these bonds because none of them are going to give you a real inflation protection because they're based on a rigged index. So if you really want inflation protection, just buy gold, buy silver or buy foreign dividend-paying stocks, stuff like that. That's what I do with my money. I, I have no interest in in those government bonds. I'm not going to hire the fox to guard my henhouse, and I'm going to do it myself. Final question from Griffin DeWitt. Can you explain what the inverted yield curve means? Sure, I've been talking about that on my podcast for a long time, and the yield curve is even more inverted now than it's been. And a normal sloping yield curve is when the shorter-term yields are lower than the long-term yields. So the curve is sloping like this. And if you loan money for a long period of time, you'll get a higher interest rates than for a short period of time. Now, why is that? Well, the time value of money, uh, if you get your money back sooner, that's better than getting it back later. And there's a lot more risk. A lot of things can go wrong over a longer time period, more opportunity for the company to default or the government. And there could be a lot more inflation. I mean, you could have some visibility to an extent. Let's say if I loan somebody money for a year, you know, I can have some idea of what the inflation rate might be, but even if I'm wrong, it's just one year. But if I'm going to loan money for 30 years, how the hell do I know what the inflation rate is going to be in five years or 10 years? I can guess, but there's a bigger chance that I guess wrong. And if I guess wrong, the impact is much greater. So normally investors will want a premium to take the added risk of making a longer-term loan, and that's why you have uh, the 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 uh, the the, uh, the upward-sloping yield curve. But now it's inverted. You can get a higher yield on a three-month, six-month, one-year Treasury bill than you can on a five-year, on a ten-year, on a thirty-year. You know that's the inverted yield curve. Now that normally happens just before recessions, right? Because people think, "Oh, the Fed's going to start cutting rates, and so I don't want to have uh, the the I, I want to." Uh, I'm not going to pay up for the longer term bond because rates are going to go down. So no, excuse me, people want to buy the long term bonds. They don't want the short term, even though the rates are higher, because they expect those short term rates to go down. Right. Because the economy is going in a recession. So they want to lock in the long term rates, even though they're lower. They can lock them in for a lot of years. So let's say a six month is five percent. But you expect the Fed to go back to zero in a couple of years. Well, what's going to happen when your short-term bond matures, and now short rates are at zero, and now the long-term rates are back to one and a half, two? 2 If you can lock in the long-term rate at three and a half, four, people are doing that right now because they're making that bet. But what they don't get is that this time it will be different because when the Fed goes back to QE and cuts rates, It's going to unleash massive inflation. It's going to turn a bad inflation problem into a horrific inflation problem. And that inflation is going to destroy the value of bonds. And so instead of bonds rising in price, the next time the Fed goes back to an ease, they're going to crash. And even if they don't crash in price, the dollars will crash in value. Because ultimately, what is the bond worth? The dollars that it's denominated in. A U.S. Treasury is in IOU dollars from the US government. Now, it's supposedly going to get the dollars from the American taxpayer by raising taxes. That's impossible. So it's going to get the dollars from the Fed because it's going to run them off a printing press. But what happens if those dollars don't have any value? Well, the bonds don't have any value either. So we are going to see this sovereign debt currency crisis. That's what's going to ensue when the Fed goes back uh, to QE and, and cutting rates again. The bond market doesn't get that yet, but it will. But don't wait for that to happen because you need to act now, as I said, get your gold, get your silver. Now get out of the dollar, get out of your bonds. If you still own any bonds, I've been telling people to get out of bonds for a long time. And you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, these bonds are great deals. You're getting four or 5% interest. That's a lousy deal. You're half the official rate of inflation. You're probably a third or a quarter of the actual rate of inflation. So it's a lousy deal. So don't make it. Uh, get real inflation protection, get out of Dodge and get into foreign assets, dividend-paying stocks, gold and silver. Talk to uh, the representatives at Euro Pacific Asset Management and Shift Gold. We can help you build an inflation-proof portfolio. Anyway, that's it for today's uh, special podcast. I'll be doing more next week, probably not in this format, back to the old format for a while, but I still have a lot to say about some stuff that I was going to talk about, but it got pushed to the back burner based on the... uh, imminent financial crisis that may be staring us in the face uh, in the next uh, several weeks.